Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're tackling what the Scripture teaches regarding what a lot of us might believe to be slightly scary, somewhat hard-to-understand theological topics. But we love what Dr. Wayne Grudem said about theology, and that was this. Theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? And we're always attempting to do this in a way that's applicable to the lives we live. Because as Charles Spurgeon said, doctrines in the head without holiness in the life are of no service. Today, we're continuing our study on the doctrine of Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. If you missed our previous podcast on this topic, please check out episodes 35 through 39. We addressed Christ's deity, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And on today's podcast, we'll be addressing the topic of his return. Pastor Jeff, out of all the doctrines that we study here on Kitchen Table Theology, has there been one which Christians seem to be more divided on than the one we're going to study today? If there is, I don't. You'll, you'll have to tell me. I, I don't know. I think this is probably the one. Yeah, I think it is because as soon as we enter this arena, we run into terms like rapture, second coming, the tribulation, and then we start to get these little little shortened versions: pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill, post-toasty, <laughs> post-toasty, and it becomes very confusing really quickly. And it seems like this is a topic where the lines are drawn theologically, and then they tend to kind of separate and cause division between believers, don't you think? Yeah, I agree with you, Jen. And, you know, really, isn't it a shame that the one thing we should be able to rally around, to get all excited about, you know, the return of Jesus, the thing that we should look forward to together, is really... What we allow to divide us because we've got all these systems and doctrines and these various theological interpretations, and instead of pulling us together, sometimes it pulls us apart. Mm -hmm. And this is also a topic which is vast in its scope and something that we will take a deeper dive into when we address the doctrine of eschatology, which is the study of the end times. So are you ready to tackle all of this in about 20 minutes? Oh, yeah. This, this shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Not at all. Shouldn't be a problem at all. <laughs> there are hundreds of different directions we could go. But what I thought might be best for us in this podcast is to give an overview, kind of a 30,000-foot view of what we're talking about when we mention the return of Jesus. And, and you're right. We'll spend a lot more time on this in later podcasts when we get to eschatology. You know, at different stages in the history of the Christian church, there has been great focus on the, on the second coming of Jesus. And sometimes the teachings have been taken to excess and people have just gone crazy and have become absolutely consumed with it all. Really unhealthy. Um, you know, people pull out of, uh, Movies, kind of life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll just pull out a life because they think, you know, I mean, I remember I've read about groups that have, they were, they were taught, okay, it's happening on this such and such a date, and they've gone up to a mountaintop and waited it out. And, 
That was years ago. Maybe, I don't know, they may still be up on the mountaintop, but I kind of <laughs> doubt it. You know, and I guess we have really all heard some really out there, way out there stories, but didn't Jesus clearly state that no one, no one will know the exact time and the date of his return? And I seem to recall just growing up and around the church that I've often heard about people making predictions, as you said, and choosing dates and going up and, you know, it's going to happen on this date at this time. Yeah, it it brings out all kinds of behavior by people who purport to be in the know. And yet, you know, like we, you've got the words of Jesus in Acts 1 7. And oh, just a little aside here. By the way, kitchen table theologian, did you know we have some of Christ's teachings found in Acts, the book of Acts? We, we sure do. In other words, if you read from a red letter Bible, which I do, do you, do you have a red? I have two different versions. Mm-hmm. Are they red letter? One of them is and one of them is not. I have a hard time. I all of my Bibles are red letter Bibles. I just I don't know. I is I think it was good enough for Paul. Yeah. It's, good, <laughs> it's good, good enough, enough for, for you. Me. I would hope so. <laughs> well, my point being, and, and if you read from a red letter Bible, not all of the red letters are in the Gospels, and I think you'll find some of them in Acts, and I, and I think Revelation also in Revelation. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, so in Acts uh, one seven, Jesus says, "It's not for you to know times or epochs." or to our British listeners, epochs, which the Father has fixed by His own authority. It's not for you to know times or or epics. And an epic, by the way, is is defined. I, I I'll be honest. I had to look that up. I I kind of know what it means, but I didn't know for sure. So that's defined as a notable period or the beginning of an era. So I know I looked it up in the. I think it was the Cambridge Dictionary. I looked it up in the Greek New Testament and the Greek Dictionary, and it literally defines it like this, a set time for the coming of the Messiah in his kingdom or for the judgment. So when Jesus used that word, he was specifically referring to his own return one day, yet it has not been uncommon for certain teachers to actually give dates and times. I remember in 1987, a book coming out by a guy whose name I remember, but I I just won't mention it. And the title of the book was 88 Reasons Christ Will Return in 1988. Wasn't that convenient? 88 yeah. and 88. 88. It's almost like there was a marketing strategy yeah. here. <laughs> and I always wondered if he ever gave the money back. Sit down. I bet he made about... <laughs> $88,000 off. <laughs> well, you know, and that that leads us some, to some really unfortunate and, again, divisive ramifications, doesn't it? I mean, this type of teaching brings confusion and oftentimes fear mm-hmm. from what I've seen. So let's ask a question. How should we respond when we run into teaching about the return of Christ that may not be biblical or we may not even be sure is right or wrong? Or Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's tricky because— we begin to think, you know, this doesn't seem to be lining up with the Scripture, but then we think, who am I to judge this teaching or this teacher? Yeah, that person, they might yeah, have. because they've obviously have spent more time on this than I have, thinking about it, researching it or whatever, uh, you know, a lot more time than me. So, so what a number of people do is they just avoid the topic altogether, and as a result, you know, whenever we avoid a, a, a topic like the, the teaching about the return of Christ, when we do that, we, we put ourselves in a position where we are not, cannot follow Paul's injunction to the Thessalonian church 
where he said to comfort one another with these words. Wait, so hold on a second. So Paul tells us to comfort each other with these words, but what words? Where is that? Where is this? Where is it? Show me. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. And so the context is Paul's teaching about the return of Christ. So maybe maybe I got a little bit ahead of us there. So how, how about reading this? So 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. If How about reading that for us, please? Sure. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So that's where I got that from. Yeah. So my point was that if we ignore any or all teaching on this topic, we fail to keep at the forefront of our thinking that Christ may return at any moment. And that's called the imminent return of Christ. And when that happens... We begin to lose a sense of anticipation, uh, hope, urgency, re- really an eternal perspective. We, we can become mired in the here and now. All right. I, we, I feel like we got off track there just a, just a time tad. bit, so let's get back on the road. <laughs> the Bible is clear that one day Jesus Christ will return. Some believe when he returns, that will bring about the rapture of the church. That means Jesus will appear in the clouds, seen by all, and the church will be taken up to meet him in the air. First the dead in Christ rise. Then those of us, uh, Paul says, who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And that's also in First Thessalonians 4. If that takes place, as I said, Jesus will appear in the clouds, seen by all, yet not returning physically to earth. Like he won't plant his foot on planet earth. Following that, that rapture, will come a seven-year tribulation period at the end of which Jesus will return for what we call the second coming. When that happens, he returns to earth and establishes a millennial reign. Okay, so let's get these stages right. So rapture, then seven-year tribulation, then second coming, and then millennial reign. Right. Unless you don't adhere to that brand of theology, (laughs) and this is where all the division comes. Sure. And many wonderful, godly Christians who love Jesus don't hold to that. They don't believe in the event of a rapture. They believe and teach that the tribulation period will occur here on earth, and all the things the Bible teaches about it will occur. And at the end of all of that, will still be the second coming in the millennial reign. They just don't think there's ever that the church is going to be removed and and raptured. Okay, so <laughs> I'm still tracking with you. I have, I'm not quite so lost yet, but I'm I'm reaching DEFCON three right right about there. So, kitchen table theologians, as we noted earlier, we're going to cover all of this in much greater detail when we study the doctrine of eschatology or end times or future times. Even that has three different. Yeah. Three different explanations. We well, better figure out a way to define that. <laughs> well, Pastor Jeff, the Bible teaches that Jesus will return to earth, and we know that Christians don't all agree on how and when, but let's consider this from kind of a, that proverbial 30,000-foot view. Let's walk through a couple of different reasons why it should matter, why this return of Christ. Yeah, let, let's do that. So as we look at the teaching of Christ's return in Scripture, we see a few themes emerge. And one of the themes 
is, in light of his soon return, we should always be prepared to be ready for his return. In Luke 12, Jesus says this. He, he, he says, you too be ready. Not, not, you, not both of you, U-T-O-O, you also, you too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And this idea is repeated in many other places connected to Jesus' second coming. So what does it mean to be ready? Well, I think what seems to be implied is that we should be living our lives in such a way that we would not need to make any dramatic changes in how we're living, even if we knew Christ was going to return tomorrow. I think that's a good litmus test right there. Well, if I knew Christ was coming back this week, what would I change right now between now and then if I got to get ready? We don't have to go home and clean the house, so to speak. No, no. (laughs) So that sense of getting ready is the idea that, okay, I want to be living my life so I don't have to make any dramatic changes. I'm I'm living, and man, I'm, I'm ready. He can come. So here's where the application to our lives comes in. A helpful way to gauge your readiness would, would be to ask yourself, if, if I knew Jesus was going to return a year from now, how would I live my life differently? There really should be no need for radical changes in the life of a Christian if you're living in a state of readiness and preparation. Now, in our culture, most people think that they'll live to be age 90 or 100, I don't know why we think that, because we all know what the average lifespans are, but we, we just, well, I'll be different. I'll, I'll live longer. And if that happens, you know, when you think like that, you think, okay, well, that, then I've got a bunch of time here to clean up my act. Hmm. And when we have that kind of an attitude, we tend to lose a sense of urgency that the return of Christ gives us in living the Christian life. Hmm. And, you know, I've heard it said that living the Christian life is a lot like running a race. You know, when we think about living to that age of 90 or 100, mm-hmm. that puts the finish line what feels like a long way off, although I feel like I'm getting yeah, a little well, bit closer to it. Not, <laughs> getting near that halfway you're, mark there. You're rounding the last <laughs> bend there. What are you? <laughs> well, the midpoint, at least. <laughs> you know, we begin to plan for that long haul and think about ways to make the journey as comfortable as possible, which is also a sticky place to be. But when we place the nearness of Christ return in front of our eyes, that puts that finish line squarely in front of us. That urges us then to, to pick up the pace and throw off those things that hinder or entangle us that might slow us down from getting to that goal. I think that's well said and appreciate you saying that. So, you know, the return of Jesus means that we better be ready and prepared. Um, another application for us is how that reality affects my motivation to live for Christ. Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter. He gives us this picture, and Paul tells him, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's encouraging Timothy to persevere because the finish line or the appearing is very close. It is the possible nearness of this event that provides us with this encouragement to persevere. And when we lose sight or we just kind of forget about the nearness of Christ's return, that's when we begin, as you were saying, we pad our lives with comforts and securities because our eyes are on a finish line that might be 20 or 40 or 60 years down the road. And as we run the Christian race, we see the finish line way off in the distance. And so if we're going to do that, then, I, you know, I'd, it wouldn't hurt to make the journey as comfortable as possible, would it? You know, that kind of gets in our mindset. Yeah, 
so if the return of Jesus, which you said is imminent, that it could happen at any time, should that encourage us then to always be prepared, to be ready? And his soon appearance should also motivate us to live lives of holiness for him. And what else should that spur us on to do? Yeah, I also think the return of Christ also should really help us to be focused and stay focused on living for him. In First Peter, Peter's concerned that Christians in the face of trials and persecution, those Christians that he's writing to are really facing some severe persecution. He was concerned that they were going to turn back to old habits, old patterns of sin, that they had lived as unbelievers. And, and he says to them, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if picturing the finish line of our Christian life in an old age causes us to slow our pace down and make the journey comfortable, it can also cause us to turn aside and take frequent water breaks in streams of sin we used to drink from as non-believers. You know, I, I used to run a lot and used to run a lot of 10K road races. And there were always those people who would run and, you know, maybe the four and a half mile mark, five mile mark, you're, you're close. You're only running 6.3 miles. There'd be a water station. And they would stop and get water, and they wouldn't finish. You know what? I've done four. I feel pretty good. You know, that's enough for today. And they would walk off the course. So well, close. So close. <laughs> so close. You know, they, they say that the majority of people who climb Everest mm. get to the base camp, and that's as far as they ever go. Mm. They've, they've trained maybe for years, and they just have that last bit to go, and they don't go. Mm. They they spend the rest of the time watching the rest of their team go up and come back down. And so that can happen to us in, in our lives as believers. Peter realizes, okay, these guys are experiencing stress. Um, there's a lot of persecution. They're going to be tempted. You know, if somebody's got a, the proverbial gun to your head and says, you know, worship Christ or worship Caesar, and if you say you worship Caesar, you're good to go. If you say I worship Christ, we're going to put a bullet in your head. Yeah, that's a little stress. That's a little, that's that's persecution. What Peter's trying to get them to do is focus on the finish line of the return of Jesus and the comfort that they will receive at his coming. He says, you know, focus, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. So he's basically saying, don't look to sin for comfort and relief, but focus on the finish line and the comfort you will receive when you cross that. Mm-hmm. Which can be hard for some of us to apply, but it should be very simple in that that nature. So I'm seeing how this kind of thinking moves us up to the finish line. It's like if Jesus were to say to us, keep yourselves pure morally, spiritually, sexually, emotionally, until I return, which could be any day. (laughs) Or he were to say, keep yourselves pure for the next 60 years. Christ's impending arrival moves up that finish line. Yeah, which encourages us to stay focused, keep our focus, and encourages us to persevere living lives of holiness. And not to go off on this, but, you know, today there is a great lack of holiness in the church. And there are manifold reasons for that. Yet one of those reasons, I think, is clearly the loss of the sense of urgency, the the hope in the grand broadest definition of that word that the teaching or on the teaching of the nearness of the return 
of Christ. See, when we were, we're teaching that, proclaiming that, keeping that in front of Christians, man, that, okay, that, that, that really, like you said, that moves up the finish line. And I, it motivates me to live mm-hmm. the way I ought to be living. So as we wrap up today's podcast, how would you summarize some of the thoughts for us regarding the return of Christ? Uh, I told you you had 20 minutes, and now we're— I, I, We're probably—well, <laughs> um, maybe let me do it with, with two thoughts. Matthew twenty four fourteen, we read of one of the major signposts of Christ's return. In, in other words, when you, know, when you see this happening, you know the time is near. And that verse says that the good news about the kingdom— is going to be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Uh, What's exciting to realize is that while in 2,000 years this has not yet occurred, but there's great reason to believe, I think, that all the nations of the world will, will hear the gospel within this generation or the next one. For example, just one example, since 1979, so that's just in the last, what's that, 30, 40 years? We don't do math well here. We since don't do 19- math well, and then since 2000, everything just throws me <laughs> off after that. All right, well, forget that. Since 1979, <laughs> however yeah. long that is. Do the math yourself. Yeah. Uh, the, the Jesus film. Now, the Jesus film is the Gospel of Luke put to, put to film by a ministry called Crew, which was formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Since 1979, the Jesus film has been viewed in every country with over six and a half billion, with a B, billion people having some exposure to that. And that's just one of, I mean, six and a half billion people. That's just one of many significant events that are going on around the world right now. And that kind of thing is bringing Christ's words to their fulfillment. And while we can't know the day or hour, where we stand in history related to this signpost is extremely significant, and it really ought to prod us to pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. And those numbers are just incredible. So so that's one of the ending thoughts. What's the other? Mm. Uh, I don't know how many basketball fans we have as listeners. I played all my life up through my 30s, but that's when my – my spirit started writing, you know, checks my body couldn't catch. <laughs> if you watch an NBA or college Division One game, you're watching some of the world's greatest athletes. You really are. And in watching a championship game for the first several quarters, it, it seems like everyone is unreservedly giving their best effort to win the game. I mean, it's a championship game. Yet amazingly, if you watch in the final minutes – these athletes usually raise the intensity of their play. Every inbounds pass becomes an opportunity for a steal or a basket. Every dribble of the basketball seems contested. All eyes, they, they keep glancing up at the clock as the game winds down those final seconds. And what you realize is that no matter how important the game, competitors play differently in the final minutes than they do in the first quarter. Now, they'll tell you that they don't, but they do. And this is the sense of motivation of Hebrews 10.25. He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the word day in the Bible is capitalized. What's he referring to? The return of Christ. All the more as you see the day approaching. So that helps us keep our eyes on on that, that finish line. As the gospel makes its final laps around the globe, we as Christians should have a sense of anticipation 
that causes us to pick up the pace of our Christian lives and ministry. There should be a feeling of leaning in toward the tape to finish the race. If, if, if this is all the more, as the writer of Hebrews says, and all the more, it's this all the more an alertness that we all need right now. The motivation for this exerted effort comes from encouraging one another with these words, as we said earlier, concerning the return of Christ. Encouraging one another with these words. Well, once again, Kitchen Table Theologians, we have so much to think on. Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. And don't forget about those episode notes. Check those out when you get a chance. These are prepared out there for just about every podcast that we do. And they're created with you in mind to be an ancillary help to you as you dive deeper into the doctrine and theology of the Christian faith. Please also check out our website at jeffcranston.com where you can find our podcast archives where dozens of theological topics are discussed. You can also read Pastor Jeff's blog where he writes on many important issues to the Christian life. And if you haven't done so already, we would greatly appreciate it if you would take a minute or two and leave us a rating and a review on the platform that you're listening from. And if you've done that already... We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Please consider sharing this podcast also with a friend or family member who might benefit from it. And as always, a special thanks to our sound engineer, Pat Nichols, and to the Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, for making this podcast possible. And thank you to you as well, all of you kitchen table theologians, for your support, your questions, and your encouragement along the way, as we remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.